Welcome back, Kihong. It's We're good back. to see you. We are back. We are back. Oh, Thomas, good to see you. It is um, great to see you. I was sick over the weekend, so um, it's been, what, two weeks since the last time we recorded? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you're recovered. Um, yeah. It always sucks to get sick with something. What? I came down with something similar to what you had yeah. a while back, and it was not a pleasant experience. Yeah, watch out for food poisoning, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It takes me back to the dark days of 2020 when I got salmonella in England and <laughs> oh. had a 40-degree fever in, oh, in Celsius. Uh, anyway, those yeah. days are behind both of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, we will be talking about a very interesting and fraught topic, a topic yeah. that people have written so many books about, so many movies, mm-hmm. so many songs, um, all really the so content much out there. Art, so much content yeah. is really just revolving around love. Love, yeah, yeah. as promised. Yeah, we're going to talk about this. And we're probably not going to finish talking about it. So we're going to talk right. for however much time we have or until mm-hmm. we uh, feel like we're, you know, mentally, emotionally drained. Um, <laughs> and then we will take a break and we will probably come back with a part two. We'll yeah. see how it goes, but... I don't think I don't think this will fit in one episode, Kihong. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's going to be definitely one of those episodes where we go multiple parts, and our and our listeners probably know at this point that we really you know come into these recording sessions with no agenda. <laughs> so you know, it's our it's our uh, you know it's our objective to really just you know, get things off our chests, you know, really speak from our hearts. So we shall see where this goes. I'm a little excited. I'm very excited. And I'm also a little scared. But, yeah, 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 yeah. As we put in the description uh, of our podcast. Uh, like on Spotify, this is an audio record, you know? So Mm -hmm. we're not trying to necessarily come with fully formed ideas. We're not Mm -hmm. trying to push a certain agenda. We don't have like a script. Um, We have questions, we have thoughts, um, and we're going to record it and see what we end up discussing. That's right. All right. So should we jump right in with some of the the discussion questions that we wrote down? Let's get right into it, Thomas. Okay. So the first one we wrote down was, I think... To just start from the biggest high-level question, what is love? Yeah, probably the meatiest question, right? What is love? What does it mean to you, Thomas, actually? Let what me does it mean start to with me? you. Wow. <laughs> I'm you... really just tossing it to you. So that Thank I can... you, Keon, for that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's very hard to define. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a cop-out. I do think people use the word love in many different senses. It's a word that doesn't have only one sense, right? Um, I think... We often use the word love to describe relationships, and that can be romantic relationships, that can be family relationships, that can be friend relationships, but it can also be relationships to, you know, non-humans, your pets. It can be relationships to strangers. You can say, I have great love for the people in the world who are suffering. You know, I I have a love for humanity that makes me want to go into um, science or technology or medicine. You know, love can be this motivation for for doing things, Um, and it doesn't always have to be in relationship to a specific person that person doesn't have to be your romantic partner um but like what is the defining feature i guess you know in one sense it's truly and deeply desiring the good of of others in some way um you know taking delight in and um you know really valuing and putting a lot of value on someone or something else um and there, that's this general sense, right? You can have love for your whole family, your whole friend group, your your whole country, your whole school, everything. Uh, but then we also use the word love in this romantic sense, where we mean like a particularized form of love. So you mean 
a love that you have for just one person, usually. Although, not everyone would probably agree with that, right? I mean, I think you also see perspectives on love that talk about, you know, polyamory, for example, mm. um, and where the goal is not to have it be about a one-on-one -on -one exclusive relationship. So right. we can get into all those things, but I, it's so hard to pin down because it means different things to everyone. I do think a big component has to be this sense of desiring what's best for the other person and, and just valuing them as um, just good in and of themselves, not because of something they do for you, um, but, but loving inherently, I think, expresses this idea of, of loving with no expectation of, you know, reward. Um, and that's hard because it doesn't fit neatly into like the categories that we have, right? It's, um, but I, I, for me, that, that's sort of this common thread uh, when, I, when I use or um, think about the word love. But how about for you, Kihon? Man, I love just tossing these, you know, deep philosophical questions to you first, Thomas, because you're just so good at defining terms. Wow, I don't know if I scene. really defined it. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, love is such a big, uh, it's a big, I don't want to say blanket term, but it does encompasses a lot of different contexts, right? As you said, I, I love the fact that you laid out, you know, platonic, romantic, you know, all the all these different types of, you know, emotions. And I think, you know, love, I, I think for, for me, it really comes down to a lot of different elements of, I think one common theme that just sort of permeated through all these different examples that you laid out, Thomas, right? Like with love for your, you know, family, love for your country, right? Not just these, you know, romantic, you know, feelings that you develop towards, like, you know, your romantic partner. It's like love in that sense, I think it really comes down to, you know, priority. And I think for me, it's interesting because not a lot of people use the word priority to define love, but it's like really putting something or someone, you know, uh, before you, right? I think, you know, if it's your family, then it's obviously putting your family, you know, before putting your family's needs and prioritizing, you know, their needs before yours. And if it's, for example, some kind of value that you want to uphold or, you, you know, your country or whatever you're, you know, um, interested in or whatever you value, then it's like thinking of how can I contribute to that, right? So, um, yeah, so I think, priority uh it also implies commitment um you know and then there's a lot of other you know things that always come up when we talk about love um but for now i think that's where i want to you know pause and that's yeah, that's how i want to define it it's just such a hard thing yeah <laughs> yeah okay i i i don't know if i've thought about it in those exact terms but priority okay so prioritizing um something or someone else you know above your own needs and i guess that that gets at this idea of sacrifice and you know it's something you'd be willing to give up for make that's sacrifices right yeah for, right like a parent loves their child yeah you know many parents say that they'd be willing to sacrifice their life you know and most parents you know aren't put in situations where they have to do that although yeah. it, you see it in, in history you see it in the news um but you also have parents sacrificing a lot of their time a lot of their energy a lot of their money a lot of their emotional like emotional energy right. um, for their children um so that's definitely, I think, a type of love and prioritizing the good of, of someone else. Although specifically with regards to romantic relationships, I mean, we also, I think, have a lot of discussions now about the role of balance and equality in um, romantic relationships and this idea that... What do you mean by be, balance? Like, like the idea that they should be, you know, symmetrical. They yeah, should be yep. um, um, based on mutual respect and not one-sided. Um, and you don't want one person, you know, doing all the work, one person doing right. all the, you know, all the sacrificing. And so, you know, it's this weird middle ground where I think according to our sense 
of love, we, we, we don't want it to be transactional. We don't want it to say, okay, I'm going to do X for you so that you do Y for me. Like That's that doesn't right. sound like love, right. at least in the sense that we use it. But you also can't really base a relationship in the sort of conventional yep. you know, romantic relationship sense yep. off of a very one-sided, you know, a lopsided relationship where one person is always sacrificing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this separate question of, okay, you can, you can really love someone, but if you want to have a successful relationship, then you need to really find the right person where you can both feel like the other person loves you and you love them and you're sacrificing, but it's also mutual and it's also reciprocal and it's balanced yeah. and it's a actually, balance and, balance. Yeah. And I think that's actually why it's so hard, right? Like yeah. you can, you can, you know, parents love their children for many reasons, but you know, there's evolutionary reasons. There's like all the investment you put into your children. There's the self-sacrificial qualities that, you know, you become a better person in many cases, you know, you hear people talk about this, right? I became a better person by, by becoming a parent. Um, and so there's this, like, it can be one-sided and it can still be loving, right? Like, you know, I have this unconditional love for my child and I will love them no matter what they do. Um, and you know, I love them from the minute, you know, they were born and for the rest of their life. Um, but in romantic relationships, if you were to say, you know, I love someone, unconditionally romantically even if they never reciprocate even if you know they are not interested in me you know that doesn't sound like it's going to lead to a very successful relationship right that's true and so you you need to find this sort of sweet spot of capturing that aspect of selflessness and and um you know sacrificial prioritizing of the other person but not in a way that's like you know an obsession or like a, yeah you know um yeah like it becomes too you know one-sided it has to be grounded in in an actual like something that you have in common something something mutual and i think that's the tricky problem of like finding love and dating so you know we'll talk both about love in the abstract like what is love what does that mean but i also yeah we can talk about like what does it mean to find love and the, that process which i guess is what we call dating um and how that looks and what challenges and unique properties it has in the modern world but wait yeah. i love this wait thomas i actually want to unpack this a little bit yeah, or, 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 or let's let's talk about this topic uh, a little bit because as you were speaking it's uh, what i find so intriguing i've actually never really thought about this before in depth but it's interesting that a parent's love toward their child is perhaps the most non-transactional one right i think it's fair to say right like where societally speaking it's most accepted even if it were one-sided, right? And I'm curious what, in your opinion, what drives that, right? Is it the vulnerability of the child until they reach a certain age? But, because my question really stems from the fact that maybe even, the, even after the child reaches, you know, maturity and adolescence, you know, let's say that a, you know, 60-year-old mom shows, you know, an unconditional love towards a, like a 30-year-old son, for example, right? That would still be considered like, you know, not weird. It's, you know, it will be very highly respected, right? So, like, what do you think is a parent's love that the society views so differently? Yeah, that's a great question, Kihong, and I think it's pretty complex. I, I'm i actually not sure that it is the most one-sided mm. kind of love. Uh, like, I think in many cultures, there is sort of an expectation that as time goes on, yeah, some of that balance starts to shift, yeah. and children have a duty to take care of their parents when they're older, right? I mean, you see this in a lot of cultures. Uh, I think the American culture is pretty individualistic. Right. Um, but, you know, in a lot of East Asian cultures, for example, it's like, you know, respecting your parents when they're older is extremely important 
Um, I think you see like higher rates of having multi-generational homes and like mm. bringing the grandparents in to like live with you mm-hmm, when they start mm-hmm. getting older. Like I think that's quite common in many cultures. Um, and of course, the fact that it ends up being balanced, I mean, that doesn't make it less real as a form of love. But, um, you know, I mean, parents do have um, reasons to, I think, love their children, right? It's They love their children. I mean, you know, I think there's something interesting about that, that, that someone will, you know, really, really love their children, be like willing to sacrifice so much of their time and money for their own children. But then they might treat someone else's children badly, right? So like, you know, someone might be like a very awful person to like strangers and then treat their own children lovingly. And of course, that's not, that's, that's natural in a sense. Like, you know, evolution favors protecting your own relatives because of the, you know, they share genes with you basically. Um, But to me, there is something weird about that. There is something sort of jarring about, you know, like I think that any, any, love is going to be somewhere on this spectrum between totally selfless uh and you know sort of totally i guess you know uh transactional not transactional but like having some sort of vested interest right? vested interest yeah, yeah. and you have you're, you're, everyone is like somewhere in between and yeah. i think you're all the natural naturally occurring loves that you experience in your life the love from your parents the love towards your siblings towards your friends i think in its ideal form would lead you and sort of train you in the ways of sort of loving better and like getting at this idea of like what what is love in a more abstract sense and so to like have great love and to experience love from people who may have vested interests like your parents or your family and then to turn around and treat strangers in an unloving way seems like some sort of you know there's this like incongruous yeah disconnect there. between yeah them. yeah but it's also natural so right there's this like natural like evolutionary view which I, i'm a little skeptical about like like evolutionary biology doesn't teach us about um, doesn't teach us about morals or ethics, right? And so you can talk about like ethics on a higher plane than like evolutionary psychology. Um, and so I think that like any form of love that you experience should help you like pin down what is love in a more in a more deep and meaningful sense. Um, so fascinating. So, yeah, yeah. And then so okay, so what would be like more? I mean, I don't know. You see people sacrificing. They're like loving strangers, loving, loving the vulnerable, loving people who like can't help themselves. You know, you see that in children, but doing it for people who are not related to you, who are never going to pay you back, who are not going to take care of you when you're older. I think that's a form of love and that's a very powerful form of love. Right. Um, yeah. Philanthropy, altruism. Yeah. Fascinating. This man's always got answers to my questions. Um, no, love it, love it. Um, I mean, should we should we talk about our next question? Where uh, you know, on this topic of societal expectations and perceptions of different kinds of love. Yeah. I mean, what do you think our modern generation, you know, people are looking for in love? Right. And let's, uh, you know, we should should we limit this uh question the the scope of this question to the context of romantic love yeah yeah we can we can start to we can start to constrain it just so we don't you know have a 10-part series on all (laughs) the different kinds of love yeah um yeah no it's a good question i mean so specifically talking about romantic love you know people are looking for like what they're looking for is is um, informed by so many different things, right? It's informed by the media influences. Like from the time you're That's young, right. you're watching movies and listening to songs and reading books. 
that all talk about love in some way, right? Like try to find a song on the radio that's not somehow about love. Not about love. Try to watch a movie where there's like no love interest happening at all. Right. And so even from the time you're a child, you're exposed to this idea that, okay, you're going to grow up and you're going to find the person who's right for you and you're going to fall in love and you're going to have a happily ever after. Uh, and we really just sort of indoctrinate, okay, <laughs> indoctrinate is a strong word, but we, we really just immerse children in the expectation that sort of there is a natural way that your life is going to go and you're going to find the person who's right for you and you're going to, you know, most likely have a family and there's all these expectations coming in. So I think, you know, one thing people are looking for is fulfilling the expectations that are placed on them because that's just sort of the way we train people to think. Uh, and then also like as you go, as you grow up, I think you start to experience like the actual emotions of, of love. Right. You fall in love, you know, you experience the strong sense of desire for another person where you feel like, you know, this one person can sort of fill the gaps that you have within yourself and can complete you. And you're looking for that. But then maybe you're also like, you have negative experiences with that. You become jaded. You become, you know, not so, um, you know, rosy eyed about the prospect of finding the one. Uh, and then maybe what you're looking for becomes stability and just, you know, commitment and building a life together with someone. Um, and so, I don't know, there's like so many different things, but how would this you answer like, that question? <laughs> this is like seven stages of grief and stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've all gone through different stages here. No, I totally agree. I completely agree. I mean, and we're going to talk about this throughout the rest of the episode, but I mean, we're, we're also going to talk about how, you know, different social media, uh, the ways of, you know, the means of communicating through, um, you know, apps and technology these days has changed a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. And um I know we should, but I, 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 this is one of those questions where your answer was just so fantastic. I feel like it's, you know, if I were to say anything, it'd be just adding for the sake of speaking. So I'm just, I like your answer. I'm going to stick with that. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's go uh, straight to the next question here, Thomas. I love it. So do you think the, the, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, now you're seeking more about stability. And one thing that really contributes to stability in my mind is just trust, right? And a relationship and just commitment between the two, right? So do you think that there is some sort of unpredictability and, you know, how fast the world changes these days, especially cause issues with the topic, with the, with the, um, with the element of commitment for people these days? Yeah, no, that's a good question. But I guess I want to probe you just a bit further on yeah, yeah, yeah. what you mean by commitment or mm -hmm. like, how do we even talk about that and what are we comparing Great to question. like what's the baseline because I, I do have thoughts I think on the influence of modern life but there's always this question of like what are we comparing to and what's the what's the baseline that we're measuring and what do we mean by trust or commitment I mean please pause and stop me at any point um, if you think I'm just going completely just you know rogue or incorrect with this but I think the comparison point is if I were to sort of oversimplify things a little bit just for the sake of this conversation is like thinking back to like an ag agrarian society, right? Where you're most likely just meeting somebody from your community, right? And yeah, you're like yeah. very close proximity vicinity. And um, if you're basically, I don't know, growing growing crops or like wheat and then you like you know family and community means labor you always need to sort of you know stay there for your family partners through thick and thin um through lean years uh and you know there's no element of i guess ghosting like i meet you on the app and uh you know i don't feel like i'm you know something's clicking so i say i'm busy or you just don't you know respond to them in a text and then you disappear yeah. right so i think that's sort of you know 
obviously kind of oversimplified here, but maybe, you know, using that as a comparison point. Yeah, I, I, I love thinking back to like, yeah, <laughs> agrarian, or even further, yeah, hunter-gatherer societies. Um, you know, I, again, I, I agree with you that, you know, we, we should be careful about not like, it is a simplification. That's right, but, yeah. But, and we're not saying that this is somehow an ideal. So we're, we're not making a value judgment here. 100%. We're saying like, there was a certain reality and things have changed a lot in the last even generation or two. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point about how at, for most of human history, you just you didn't have that many choices of who you're gonna marry, right? That's like, right. You literally just had very few options. Yep. Um, either your family would pick for you, like mm -hmm. you would have some sort of arranged marriage because mm -hmm. people would use marriage as a way to you know build family alliances and sort of you know have connections with with other other families. Um, and a lot of parts of the world, you know, still does this. Still do that. Right? Yeah. I mean, in certain parts of the world, um, I mean, yeah, there's so many different traditions about this, but yeah, arranged marriage is very much still a thing. Um, in some parts of the world, uh, cousin marriage is very much a thing. So people try to basically, you know, they're not marrying their, well, they might marry their first cousin. I think usually it might be more like a second cousin or some third cousin, but you know, they, they want to marry someone that you have a family tied to because they know that, you know, you're, you're in the same family. You have, you share the same, you know, sense of values and, and all of that. Um, okay. But then also if you just imagine like the kinds of societies that people lived in, you know, urbanization, for example, is relatively recent in human history. Um, people sort of moving from their hometown and moving to like mega cities in pursuit of education and jobs. That's also a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, and so like, you know, if you, if you think about the average person living in some town or village or even like a smallish city, um, if you look at the people in their social network who are like eligible, you know, and roughly their age, um, with whom their family, you know, would be compatible because it was never just sort of like a two individuals making some decision, you know, people would elope and stuff, but we have that term specifically because it would be so unusual right. and so stigmatized to just like elope and run off and get married for love. Great point. Uh, quote unquote, um, without involving your, your family, right. Or the sort of institutions of society. And so you just like, wouldn't have that many choices. Like you would kind of probably know growing up, like I'm going to marry like one of these like five people because they're like roughly my age and like they're eligible and they're like on good terms with my family. Like That's again, right. an oversimplification, but it's not like you had like, you know, unlimited possible, you know, matches. And I think that the thing with the modern world is we have so much uh, individuality, so much freedom, um, so few constraints and, you know, people will regularly pick up and move for education, for jobs. Uh, and as you, you brought up technology, you know, there's ways to meet people online, there's dating apps, there's, you know, communities that exist in, you know, facilitated by the internet. Um, so like you really do have a much, much larger pool of, of potential partners to, to look through. And um, that's just a big difference, right? And that makes the problem, I mean, what do you think? Does that make it harder or easier? I've openly talked about this a lot with my, you know, friends in life. This this whole dating apps and, you know, keep swiping left until you find the right person. Yeah. This sort of mentality, I think it really inflates your sense of optionality out there. So you just keep, you know, this, this question lingering in the back of your mind of, oh, maybe I could just go on another, go on another date. And especially this is a problem, especially for big cities like New York. Yeah. Right. I've noticed this actually, you know, it's, I, I talked to some of my friends who moved, you know, from Boston to New York, you know, thinking that it would be so much easier to date. 
but you know they've almost nine out of ten all their accounts have been you know um yeah they would always come back and tell me hey like it's actually you know dating is not that much easier in new york if anything it's harder and um crazy because you know i have a lot of asian american friends who are you know looking for an asian american partner and they go to new york thinking oh because the pool is a lot larger it's going to be a lot easier but it's actually not that you know it's not always the case right uh maybe i'm you know maybe we are simplifying things a little bit here but it's not untrue right so I, I, you know, we the the next one. I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit here in our list of questions at the, the dating apps thing. I, I do really think in terms of expectation changes, it just really, as I said, not to repeat myself, but it inflates the sense of optionality. It's like going to a restaurant with a, you know, with a crazy long list of menus, and you're sitting there, oh shit, like what what am I gonna have? You know, what am I gonna order? Um, maybe not a great not a great analogy, but it's it's true, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's this paradox of choice, right? Paradox Which is that, of choice. that you know, people always actually when you give them more choice, yeah, feel worse about whatever choice they make. Hundred percent. And so I think there's like two things going on, right? There's there's sort of the um there's the like cold blooded optimization problem of like yeah. you know, like if you've ever taken a game theory class, you'll study something called the stable marriage problem. Which is literally <laughs> like it's it's a thing in like economics and game theory and it's actually also like a graph theory well yeah anyway no it's not a graph theory thing it's a game theory thing i guess uh but it's like how to assign you know a stable matching between sort of two two groups of people who each have a preference over uh all the members of the other group um and so you know you, you can analyze this in terms of economics and in terms of math but that only captures one side of it, right? Like, okay, the problem of like matching people up so that everyone has like certain constraints that are fulfilled and certain shared values and certain shared life trajectories and, you know, cultural compatibilities and, you know, child raising preferences and, you know, all of that. Like there's that data problem. And can I pause you for a quick yeah. second? I hate to pull that guy who goes into a, etym yeah. the etymology of things all the time, like Greek words, this Greek words, that. But economy actually comes from the Greek word, I think, oikonomy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, oikonomia, yeah, oikonomia. Yeah, yeah. Oikos, if you've ever heard of oikos Greek yeah. yogurt, it's yeah. oikos means like home. Home, right? It's like oikonomia home, family. is like yeah, the yeah, rule yeah. Of, the, of the home yeah, or the family. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the unit measurement of economy, family. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, okay. So that's, yeah. That, that captures only one part was that, what Thomas was saying. Right, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one part. And then the other part is like your own psychological state and that's where we see things like the paradox of choice man yeah because it doesn't matter if an algorithm tells you okay this person fulfills 97 percent of your criteria and according to our algorithm would be a great match for you mm -hmm. that doesn't matter unless you are psychologically ready to accept that you want to commit to this person that's right right and if the system is sort of training you to always think that, well, if I just keep swiping, maybe there'll be someone even better. If, if the system is training you in certain ways, and if the system is sort of um, forming you, right? It forms certain, um, I guess, values or certain um, perspectives on the world, like maybe a perspective of being somewhat jaded with the state of modern dating. It sounds yeah. like nine out of 10 of your friends were, mm -hmm. were a bit you know, jaded by, by the system. Um, and so like that plays into your psychological state and can change your level of readiness to, you know, commit to someone, even if an algorithm tells you, you have like a high percentage chance of having a successful relationship. That doesn't matter if you're not willing or ready. That's right. No, I beautifully put it. It all comes down to you at the end of the day. 
and we can talk. Man, I also know a little bit about how these dating apps algorithms work, not from my personal experience, listeners. Uh, it's because I actually, it, it, it's, there's a little bit of confidentiality, so I won't, I won't go into the details, but one of my friends during consulting worked on a project that was, you know, the client was this dating app. So we, we heard a little, you know, it's a story, a, 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 you know, story or two about how these algorithms work. So it's actually fascinating. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's, it's all, it all really comes down to, you know, the, you know, your decision making at the, at the very last minute, whether you want to pull the trigger or not. Yeah, you're right. You got to be in the right psychological state. And I think you're in different psychological mindset, depending on what age group you're in. And I know that this is one of the questions that we, you know, wanted to cover, but yeah, as you grow older, you're, you, what you look for in life changes a lot too. Yeah. At some point it's less about, you know, the, whatever, you know, the, the fiery attraction, the first impression, you know, love at first sight, it's less about that. And it's more about your, either your practical needs or your just, you know, your desire for stability. Um, so yeah, I agree, Thomas. Yeah. All good points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, you know, like the current system, okay. We've been talking about the system as if like, you know, dating apps, it's like the, the <laughs> system or something. And I guess we should just put in a side note here. Like, you know, I guess dating apps have like pretty quickly become something pretty, uh, mainstream. I would say like, I don't know what, what when would you say they became like normal good like... question i think probably around um man i remember t uh, hearing about hinge for the first time my freshman year of college okay. so i would say about 2015 yeah yeah and then yeah going back to like the different stages of life right it's not like high schoolers are going to be using hinge right, right like right, right, right. you know if you look at your typical high school relationship it's you know people that you meet like in school or in class or you know in sports or you know something usually but i also uh, don't know if that's the case anymore I mean, you that's think high schoolers of, are using. I mean, using I actually apps? don't know. I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know. Actually, yeah. any high school listeners out there, you know, <laughs> chime in. You know, um, uh, yeah, it's possible. And then even college students. You know, I'm not. Sh I'm not so sure. Like Hinge to me strikes me as like a distinctly like young professional, young professional and grad thing. student type of app, and not so much like something people use in college because, well, college is this weird time in your life when you're like basically ninety percent surrounded by people your own age, um, and then you sort of go into the workforce, and suddenly you're like not anymore surrounded by exclusively people your own age who are like mostly single that's right um you know and yeah then i think people start looking for you know alternatives so the lesson of this podcast episode is find the right one in college honestly <laughs> please do yeah no that would be like my single biggest piece of advice no i'm just kidding I, i'm not kidding I, my, that's not my piece of advice that was a joke um but i do i do look at people who um you know find find their life partner if that's what you're looking for in college and i think like yeah there are a lot of advantages to doing that maybe there are also some downsides but you know i know someone who um you know started dating someone freshman year of college dated for all four years of college and got married like within a year of graduating you know and so some might say oh my gosh like you really pulled the trigger very quickly like that's really rushing into things but also that means that they completely bypass this sort of adulting in a drift um, stage of life in your 20s when <laughs> you're like yeah. figuring uh figuring things out um and i think that sort of viewpoint of like oh man you're committing so early you know just implies that you're always thinking about opportunity about the opportunity cost right yeah it's like a little too much of a kind of evaluation investing perspective on life i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah no it's true i mean i think like so 
one of my major mottos in life um, <laughs> is just like, I mean, this I didn't make this up. This, people have been saying this for 3,000 years, okay? But it's like, know thyself, you know? Like, yeah, yeah like self-knowledge. Yep. If you really look deep inside yourself with introspection and you sort of, you see where your life is going, what's important to you, what kind of qualities you really value in a, in a person. And, you know, you find that it sort of, you know, like it, you should maybe pursue that, you know, like it's not like if people say, oh, you're too young or something. Okay. Well, like take that into account, you know, consider the fact that you're still maturing, you know, consider the fact that People say your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 25. So, you know, take all that into account. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, the solution is not to have like a one size fits all solution. It's not like right. you should never get married before the age of 25. And it's probably also not, you know, like uh, there's no one prescription. It's like you have to That's like right. know yourself. And the thing is, like, you could be doing everything right. And there's no guarantee that you're going to like meet the right person by That's a certain right. age, right? Some people might just happen to meet the right person. And when I say the right person, I don't mean like the one, right? I don't necessarily, I don't believe in, you know, soulmates or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, someone who you are genuinely compatible with, um, you might just meet someone like that early on in your life. It might also take you a really long time. And that is kind of something that is only really partially, if at all, under your control. One thing about people these days, uh, fascinating concept, Thomas said, one thing about people these days that I've noticed is that people don't give just uh, coincidence and luck enough credit these days. Mm. I think people tend to think that everything is under their control, yeah. within their control. So if they don't find the right person or find the right career or find the right thing at, at, by a certain point of their life, their lives and they think that they're, some, they're doing something wrong. But I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, if you read a lot of these, you know, biographies of you know successful you know people i mean that's within the context of career but even for love i mean if you think about you know how our parents met and stuff like that um that it's like a lot of it is just you know luck and the right timing you might find the right person in your life and it's not the right timing for you and it doesn't work out there's so many other external you know externalities in play here so 100%. yeah 100 yeah no that's a great suggestion when you said right person wrong time you know i think that's that's a good point. It's like hard to really know what that even means. It's like, if it's the wrong time, is it the right person? But I, I know exactly mm. what you're talking about. It's this idea that like, you might really feel a connection. You might feel uh, shared, you know, overlap in your, in your value system and the way you see the world, you might just feel understood. Um, and that's not something that happens every day, you know? So you might that's feel right. that, but then there may be also just practical circumstances. Right. Like are your current, like, is your current state in life like aligned? You know, are you like, you know, is where you want to go in life aligned in the future. Um, there's this great video. Um, uh, there's this YouTube channel called Sisyphus 55. It has a lot of like um, philosophy and like self-help type videos with cute animations and voiceover. It's a certain genre. <laughs> um, but they had, um, he made this video called um, exactly that, right person, wrong time. And it's like a 10 minute video with this like, you know, beautiful meditation on on that, that Very sense, interesting. that love, yeah, that that it feels right, but also seems impossible. Is Sisyphus um, still? Is he like within the school of Stoicism? Is that so? Sis no, Sisyphus is is the guy who rolls the the boulder up the mountain uh, yeah, in Greek okay. mythology. Uh -huh. I don't actually know where the fifty five comes from. Sisyphus. So Sisyphus is this guy who's doing this, um, you know, 
menial task over and over again. And every mm -hmm. time he rolls the boulder up to the top of the mountain, it rolls back down and he has yep. to start over. And the reason it's connected, I think, to philosophy is through the work of um, Albert Camus, who wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, which sort of has his absurdist philosophy, um, like absurdism as you know, sort of this, it's not, it's like the idea that there is kind of no meaning in life, but mm -hmm. you choose to, you know, the, the final line of the book is right, like, uh, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. So, you, uh -huh. you know, you're doing this like meaningless and like repetitive thing. And there isn't really a meaning to pushing the boulder up the hill again and again, but you can create your own meaning and you can find meaning in that. And that's sort of the core of uh, Camus' um, like take on that existential problem. Yeah. Or I don't know, I'm probably not saying that 100% correctly, but I, I think a lot of the videos on this channel are very influenced by um, absurdism, but also stoicism um, and other, other schools of thought. Um, I think it's, yeah, uh, the more I think about it, the more we have to learn from people who lived a long time ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously not 100% uncritically. We should we should take into account all the flaws and biases that people in the past had. But they also had a lot of wisdom. Um, you know, one of the great things about being human is our ability to transmit ideas and um, cultural wisdom across generations that, you know, other species, you know, don't really do that. They yeah. have to either change and evolve or you know they can teach things, teach certain skills maybe to their to their children, but we don't they don't accumulate wisdom and culture over thousands of years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so anyway, just a plug for for that idea of like yeah, yeah. right person wrong time. Um, but yeah, let's see. Do we want to? What else do we have to say about um, dating apps and technology? Yeah, we were um, would love to just touch upon the t touch on the, the subject of you know profiles on, oh, on dating yeah. apps. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know both of us have used dating apps in the past, or maybe you know still using it. Um, you know, I for one am still you know uh, will have dating apps. You know, um, you know still ongoing. Um, one thing about dating apps that I think both of us have noticed in the past, you know, we had the brief conversation before starting recording is that there's quantified values, right? These, these almost like we're selling ourselves as a kind of like a product out there, right? It's all packaging, right? So, you know, these quantified values of our profiles and um, Thomas brought up a great point that on these apps, it's, you know, our profiles are part of, you know, quote unquote content. Right. Yeah. And just the just the absurd, you know, idea of, you know, we're we're everything's content these days. Right. So, you know, let's talk about this a little bit, Thomas. I'd love to pick your brain on the, uh, how you think about this. Yeah. I, I just think it's funny that like there's that one tab on like the hinge dating app um, where it's like standouts or something. I, yep. I just don't understand the concept yeah. of this. Like, I, I think actually like from what I know, uh, based on the information I have, like hinge does seem to be like pretty, you know, well thought out and it's trying to like encourage more meaningful conversations rather yeah. than just like appearance-based swiping but then sponsor us hinge yeah no no don't <laughs> Jake, we, we need to maintain our independence yeah. to criticize yep. it no I'm just, yep. um but um there's this one tab which is like standouts or something and it says like outstanding content from people do you want a little bit of secret uh yeah yeah i think the listeners deserve to know a little bit i think okay. it's i think it's a little stats driven so i think everybody on these dating apps are given some sort of a elo score like you know like match how many matches you get and then these people on these the, the standout tab is supposed to have you know 
be on a similar scale except like a better score if that makes sense so, so they're like they fit the criteria you know they look at their your everybody's criteria depending on like what kind of people you swipe right on like meaning you oh you're attracted to this person yeah. and then um if their score is a little better than you then they they show up on your standout page yeah yeah you know, how insulting is that Thomas? yeah no so well okay you, i think we have to take into account that these dating apps are also profit driven yeah right? and so the way that the standout thing works is that you need to pay money to talk to them right so you need it like you can't actually just start a message with someone who's on your standouts mm -hmm. and as you said like there are people who like like they seem to be selected based on some score like they right. definitely have some sort of score under the hood right right um and then you need to buy these things called roses in order to talk to people who are on your standouts page uh which means that like they're intentionally showing you people that they think you'll like but making you pay to like talk to i mean of course right they want to make money and what are people willing to spend money on more than more than love you know yeah. um but yeah the, somehow the idea of like people making money off of people's sort of like romantic struggles and desires it just seems i mean obviously hinge is not the only people doing this like so many people make money off of other people's um you know romantic longings um but i just okay like i just think it is funny that they call it content because it's like as you said it's it's your profile but you know, it's a human being. It's someone who's out there who's trying to, you know, find love. Um, but there's something about the platform that does encourage you to curate a certain aesthetic, right? And right. just like we talk about having an aesthetic with any other form of content, like, oh, this is like, you know, whatever core, you know, like this is dark academia aesthetic. This is, you know, like whatever, um, you know, cyberpunk aesthetic. Like we, we have these different aesthetics for right. YouTube videos, for Instagram accounts. And, you know, it's like treating people as content also i think encourages a type of curation of looking for you know a certain type of content you see people who maybe are trying to give off the kind of like effortless i don't care that much kind of aesthetic you might see people who have like put a lot of thought into their content and put, put like really long and thoughtful you know prompts and responses and you know that's all maybe useful but it's it is a product of the way these platforms are designed and they're not necessarily a good cue for whether you'd be compatible with someone in person. So going back to something you said earlier, the idea of like spontaneity, serendipity, and just like meeting someone in, in a sort of less algorithmically driven right. way, you know, definitely has value. Uh, I, I'm not going to say like, don't use dating apps. I, I don't, I don't believe in like any sort of black and white thing about this. I mean, I think like dating apps are a way to meet people. I, I have a probably an issue with it becoming like the dominant way. Like maybe I, maybe it's like, we shouldn't, encourage it to be like the only way um but it's a way right like going to a bar and meeting someone is a way to meet people should would i recommend it to everyone probably not bumping into someone on the street and like knocking over their coffee and starting a conversation is a way to meet people but you know you hear these crazy like meet cute stories right yeah. like we met yeah. on the airplane we met in an elevator yeah and that's all great but that's serendipity and that's not a prescription i can't say mm -hmm. i'm gonna go into elevators and start start conversations with people to find love or i'm gonna like go around knocking people's coffee over you know so sometimes they're just things that are totally out of your control uh and as you said that plays into the the narrative that you create and the story um and ultimately you know you have to decide um, whether you're willing to, um, you know, take this plunge and and proceed with a, a certain relationship. Um, but I think having that the circumstances be right and sort of the sense of like this this happened, you know, for a reason or this happened in a way that you know 
I feel comfortable with and at peace with rather than like this was just some algorithm recommending me um, or some sort of profit motive driven corporation trying to like milk me for for money um, and then like on the side you know maybe help me um, yeah it's 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 interesting um, I don't know precisely I mean I, 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 maybe we are <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are being very critical of, of data apps. I, I, but you know, I, I think it's, I think it's correct. I mean, I'm also curious. I've personally only used Hinge. I've never used, you know, other dating apps. But I know that there are ones like Tinder and Bumble. I, I wonder how their approaches, to, you know, are different, and you know how they are. You know, these are all profit-driven dating apps. But I wonder how they curate the interactions, you know, differently, and how they, you know, sort of. Uh, portray this you know what, what do they call this not maybe not content but i'm assuming they have this similar thing mm -hmm. as standouts as, as hinge does right yeah i don't really know too much about those other ones yeah. as well like i mean based on what i know i think hinge is probably has yeah i don't know i think it's it's for for you know what i've said about everything i said being critical like all, all that aside like i, I think but it hinge is has true. more positives yeah. Yeah. yeah i think like um so bumble and tinder as far as i know are like all they're based on like swiping right so mm -hmm. basically the idea is you swipe and people don't see whether you swiped on them or not unless oh, they swipe on you, okay. right? Got so it's it, like got it, got it, yeah. you swipe on people, they swipe on you. So swipe right means you like them. And they never know unless they also swipe. And then that's called a match. Whereas on Hinge, you can have unilateral like messaging, right? Like oh, you, you, you see someone, you like them, you can send them a message yep. without them liking you. Understood. Um, so it's unilateral. Um, but um, yeah, the, so the interesting thing about the... So the, the non-unilateral ones, I mean, the incentive is basically just to play a numbers game. I mean, that, that, right. the, there's sort of the game theoretic analysis of this would say right. like, well, if you want to just maximize your chances, you know, swipe on, swipe on everyone. everyone yeah. But this is going to depend probably on all other factors as well. So like I've heard, you know, um, in the future, I, I, it'd be interesting to hear from like a female perspective on this, but uh, I've heard that the strategies on dating apps can actually be like very, or just not the strategies, the experiences can be very different, right? Because... I've, I've heard that like the average woman on a dating app is getting, you know, a huge amount of attention compared to the average man. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, and then but then that's sort of a self-perpetuating loop because, mm. you know, then because of that, the men are incentivized to like send likes or swipes like even more indiscriminately. Even more indiscriminately. And then that sort of overwhelms women who feel like, how can I possibly keep up with like all the yeah. bombardment of, you know, interest I'm getting so that, you know, m encourages them to be more selective uh, you know, and who they respond to and all that. So there's all these like interesting dynamics people have done, like, like people have written papers, I think about, really? about the economics and game theory of this. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I think like the fact that hinge only gives you like a limited number of messages, like it's sort of, I don't know what the exact number is, but you can't message more than X people per day. Mm. And it's a pretty small number. Mm -hmm. I think it does encourage you to like be, be more, more be more discerning yeah. and be more selecting yeah. and think like, okay, I'm not just going to like, cast the wide net yeah, i'm just yeah. gonna you know i'm gonna really look for people yeah. that that i share some some commonality with so i think that's a good thing about it very interesting um yeah i don't know well yeah i definitely i think yeah i don't know i i think the one of the, okay well, i'll say one more thing about the dating apps is that there's this weird um phenomenon where i do think it kind of it, from a gender roles perspective it, it almost makes people more regressive like in in, in a more regressive. Like socially regressive in terms of gender roles right because of you know what i was saying about the like the you know entrenching certain ideas like yeah. men have to make the first move yeah, 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 yeah. etc like the whole idea of bumble was created was bumble was created you know it forces like 
women to make the first move. Yep. So basically, like, men cannot, even if you match with someone, like, men can't initiate a conversation and women have to. Got it. Um, and it was doing that because I think the Tinder, which was kind of, like, the dominant thing before that, was, like, it was so one-sided of, like, men would be trying to, like, you know, um, initiate everything. Right. But then, like, women would get all kinds of, like, unsavory messages from yeah, men yeah, yeah. and, you know, just, like, all kinds of, like, you know, people would be, like, just bad behavior. Like, it would be... Yep. And combine that with the fact that, you know, there's this anonymity that you mentioned earlier. You know, you don't ever have to meet the people in real life. Right. So you're just starting off virtual. It encourages certain types of bad behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, people were getting, like, explicit messages from strangers. It was There was sort of, like, a lot of toxic stuff happening and then i think bumble was trying to say no no we're gonna like force women to have to make the first move mm -hmm. anyway um and there's also the backstory of like the bumble ceo being a being a like like a female founder so she knows like she related yeah. with you know how women feel on these dating apps yeah yeah, yeah. but i'd be curious to hear if bumble actually succeeded at mm. reversing some of those mm -hmm. regressive okay i say regressive but i i mean that like yeah more like a, a, a traditional the, like tra the conservative, yeah, yeah they're sort of just like pretty pretty rigid like yep. Like, not in the rules of the app, but yeah. in, like, the, you know, w the dynamics that emerged yeah. end up being pretty, like, gender split. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that Bumble had to introduce, like, an actual gender discrimination yep. Yep. step of, like, actually forcing only women to yeah. make the first move in order to combat some of those. But Very interesting. Um, I'm not actually sure how well it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, if anyone has experiences with Bumble, you know, phone in. Not <laughs> You can't phone in. There's no way to do that. But uh, write to us after this episode. Yeah, send us email, text us, comment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so, it's, it's yeah. interesting. One one point that I wanted to, to, to talk about a little bit is the anonymity um, aspect of profiles. So oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because right on Hinge, you're supposed to, well, not supposed to. You can keep it as, you know, like a secretive. You can be as secretive as you want on these profile on these platforms. But on their profile, right, like you put on, you know, your physical traits, your height or like, you know, your... I mean, I guess, you know, ethnicity and everything else shows on your picture, shows, you know, through your pictures. But the whole, like, filtering aspect really intrigues me, right? You can filter for a specific, like, a cultural background or, like, a location. Like, you can, you can also set, you can be dishonest in terms of your location, right? You can set your location as something else. So my, you know, it's, it's a wild story. My, one of my friends actually set his location as New York. But he, he lives here, but he, he lives in Boston, but he sets his location in New York and he matches with somebody. He goes to New York for the weekend. Isn't it crazy, Thomas? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, but he does that. So, I mean, people people out here, you know, clearly, you know, came up with these, you know, creative ways to, you know, bypass these limitations that Hinge puts on. But the anonymity aspect is like, I, what I wanted to say is that it's actually, it's, you're not that anonymous. Right. Yeah. Like you're you're where you went to school and stuff like that, or your job. Oh, yeah, like yeah. you can look it up, and especially with you know social media these days. So interestingly enough, what I've noticed recently was that you know people would not f write out their full names, so they would just put out put out their their initial. Um. So it's like oh, like Kihong would be like K, Thomas would be like a T, right? Yeah. On, on Hinge yeah. profiles, and I just find the whole like this thing, you know. I, I don't know, just fascinating, just like human psychology and just societal behaviors. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to sort of like the baseline we were comparing to earlier, right? Like the idea of a relationship in the vacuum, like in some sort of anonymous space, That's right, never yeah. existed. Never right? existed. Like, yeah, it would yeah. always, like there would always be ramifications yeah. for like how you treat someone. Right. In like, it would spread throughout your social network. Right. Humans are very social creatures. Right. If you were dating someone, you know, pre-internet, pre you know, 
like you would have mutual friends with them. If you were a really bad person and you know, you treated them poorly, that would reflect very negatively on you, right? If your friend introduces you like, Hey, I'm going to set you up with my friend. So like, you know, I set you up with my friend, let's say, right. and then you like treat her terribly. Yeah, yeah. I'd be mad at you, you yeah, know, like, yeah. and that would, you, you would not want to, you know, be a bad person, yeah. but you would also worry about the social yeah. ramifications yeah. and, you know, those would be aligned, like your, your sort of sense of ethics and sort of your social networks sort of pressure to, um, you know, um, I guess encourage good behavior would be well aligned, but there's this interesting phenomenon where, you know, with online dating, even though it's not like completely anonymous, it's it's totally possible to like meet people with whom you have zero social connection right so you have no mutual friends although often you do actually um but you might meet someone with whom you have no mutual friends and then things like ghosting um or like other forms of uh you know even worse things um like th there's no um external pressure on you to like i guess like it's not going to get back to you if you if you treat people poorly yeah, yeah. uh and maybe that's very cynical of me to think that we need like social some shaming, sort of a like, check some sort yeah. of check like I, i'm not saying that like people should only be good because others are gonna like think poorly of them or something that's not what i'm saying at all like, you should be good because it's no, no, the I right agree. thing to do i agree fully but with you, yeah. i think the fact that these apps um have you know the, create the ability to to interact with people with whom you have no social connection is a little unusual yeah, a little from concerning. the perspective yeah. of just most human relationships i fully agree um fully agree and i think there's we're missing out on something because of that right like we're missing out on the on the on all, basically the hive mind of like your social network like the way i think most people used to meet significant others was like through through setups through setups yeah. and like oh I, I i know someone i know you and i know someone who i think you would get along well with and like you would trust your friend that like okay my friend knows me my friend knows someone else and like like i value the opinion that my friend thinks that I would be a good match with someone. That's right. Yeah. Whereas like, who knows you better, your friends or an algorithm, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think we miss something with that. Um, and I wonder just, yeah, what sort of longer term consequences will be for, for, um, you know, dating apps getting normalized. Although, you know, there are plenty, I know people who've, um, maybe not directly, but I know, I definitely know of people who've gotten married with you know people that they know from dating apps yeah you know, we're reaching the age where a lot of our friends are starting yeah. to you know get married and yeah like some of them met on dating apps and so yeah. it worked right as i said earlier like it's a way to meet people maybe it's not the way but you know um if if meeting someone by randomly sitting next to them on an airplane leads <laughs> to marriages then of course dating apps could also lead to marriages so, that's you know true. you never know you never know you never know you never know you're right um Man, I feel like we actually covered quite a lot on this topic of dating apps. Actually, can we talk a little bit about something that came across my mind? It's not on our list of questions, but uh, like expectations going into first time, first dates. Can we talk a little bit about yeah, this? No, so, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, um, I know we talked a lot about how like, you know, you would get set up by friends and stuff like that. But, you know, one thing that also uh, happens less, right, is just like completely organic you know, just like, you know, uh, asking somebody out on a, at a bar or like at a cafe, right? These interactions also, there's less of that, right? With, with the advent of dating apps. So, I mean, imagine, you know, somebody going up to somebody, uh, somebody else with no, just like romantic context expected, right? If you were on the receiving end of somebody coming up to you and just, you know, asking you out, right? That versus 
like I meet I met you on this dating app, so we're getting coffee strictly under the romantic context, right? I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a huge difference there, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think there is a little bit of? I mean, there's obviously the less element of chase there, yeah. right? So I mean, I, I'm curious what you think about that, Thomas. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you know, I study information and language, so I'll try <laughs> to put an information theory spin on it. Now, it's the information is different, right? So if you met on a dating app and you already matched, then by definition, you know that the other person at least has is open to something, right? Like if they weren't even open, they wouldn't be talking to you or they wouldn't have matched with you or they wouldn't have agreed to a date or whatever. So, you know, there's that. And you can run into situations all the time in real life where there's just like a lot more uncertainty. Like you don't, you don't have that information right. yeah. space. Um, yeah. I mean, the thought of like a random person that I've never seen before, like I'm minding my own business at a coffee shop or something. And they just like walk up to me and say like, you're cute. Want to go out? I, I know this doesn't usually happen to men. It usually <laughs> happens the other way around. Um, but um, it does seem odd. I guess it happens still. It probably happened even more before dating apps, but yeah, I think it comes back to information. Like what information do you have? Yeah. Um, and then also like what information you have about like the cultural context and how, yeah. how normalized that is. What do you think? You know, I asked a question. I really don't have an answer for my own question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just changes how you, I think it changes how you interact with people. You know, there's, there's definitely, I've, I've went on a couple of dates where I felt like, crap, I feel like I know a lot of things about you already just from the profile. You know what I mean? So if, if you were, you know, set up by a friend where if you really don't know anything about the person, then it's like you kind of come up with these, you know, kind of, I guess, small talk topics, you know, but like appropriate for first date conversations. Well, like, where are you from? Like, you know, where'd you go to school? Like, what's your job and stuff like that? But kind of like knowing and especially in a city like Boston, where I feel like a lot of the profiles are very similar. I've definitely gone on dates where I feel like, oh, I feel like I kind of know you just because of the kind of the profile that you fit. Right. Does that make sense? So it's like, oh, like you work in a certain industry or like, oh, you're like a certain race working in a certain industry. You, you know what I mean? There's like, there's definitely, uh, maybe I'm starting to sound a little problematic here, but it's like, there's definitely profiles out there that are kind of like, you know, similar to each other. So it's like at those moments where I, I you know, I feel like I genuinely struggle kind of coming up with genuine topics to talk about. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think, well, but this is just like a general point, right? Of like, it's mm -hmm. hard to find people that you can like really like you you can have a conversation Maybe. with anyone yeah but it's like it's really hard to go beyond the superficial mm -hmm. i think like Maybe I'm romanticizing that the element of chase a little too much here maybe but yeah yeah i don't know i mean i guess it's like in real life <laughs> real life yeah i mean i don't know this is funny irl, IRL. Right? It's like a, what is real life what is not real life um but I think there's a selection bias of like the sort of encounters that you might recall from in real life. Like when you, when you sort of met someone and just had that instant chemistry, mm -hmm. that's going to be very memorable. So you're mm -hmm. going to remember like the times when you just like sat next to someone mm -hmm. by chance, mm -hmm. met someone at a party, like whatever, and just hit it off. Like, mm -hmm. but like you have hundreds of encounters with people in real life that you just make small talk and you go about your day mm. and you, because you're not thinking about this as a romantic thing at all. It's like, right. Oh, I just talked to someone in line at the post office or, right. you know, I, you know, sat next to someone on a plane. Like most of the time that's like not a romantic thing and mm -hmm. you just make small talk and mm -hmm. that's part of, you know, just being a human mm -hmm. in a society. 
but then when you really like feel that chemistry with someone then you might like remember it you might start to think like oh is this is there is there yeah, something, is more, there something here? more here yeah but on a dating app you're you're there because you're looking for something but like the statistics of people are still the same right like you're still going like the vast majority of people will still be like you won't be that well aligned you, you can have a great conversation with them and exchange information and ask them about their job but like i do believe in some notion of chemistry whatever that means and um whether i it's not just being well aligned on interests and values although that's part of it i think it's also personality types and you know um yeah just so many things go into it but it's i don't know maybe, maybe i'm overly cynical but i i do think it's it's quite rare to actually meet someone with like that kind of chemistry no you're right you're right it's hard to find uh, extremely extremely hard to find um, next question on our list is, I see ghosting. Oh gosh. <laughs> Should we talk about ghosting? We, we kind of touched on it a little bit, right? A little bit. But, yeah. yeah. You want to say a bit more about it or like maybe define it for those. I mean, I think if people are listening to a podcast called adulting in a drift, they, they probably they know, know what, they, ghosting they know what ghosting is. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, one of the things that we, you know, we think is driving is, you know, uh, is kind of the fragmentation of, you know, our, our attention span these days. Right. And, um, we talked a little bit about the impact of, you know, technology, communication, technology, communication, you know, means of communication and how that affects, you know, commitment and, you know, how we stay in touch with people. But it's definitely gotten easier to just ghost people. Um, and I think a lot of it is also, you know, driven by, you know, I, I think it's definitely true that people are. Uh, there's dif there's different ways to be non-confrontational, and I've mm -hmm. no I've been noticing that a lot more. You know, people are kind of scared of just confront being confrontational, yeah, and just like being honest about your feelings, yeah. I, I think that is kind of a societal problem. I mean, do 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 you agree? Do you disagree, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I also don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, we talked about this briefly, but like, well, what else do you do? <laughs> yeah, what, what do you do when you you know? Um, meet up with somebody and you're really just not feeling any connection. I mean, I think some would say that the right thing to do is to be very explicit and say, you know, hey, thanks for a great time, but, um, you know, I'm just, well, I'm not feeling that special connection and, you know, best of luck with your, with your dating life or, you know, something, something like that. It's, it's awkward, but it, it's clear. But then there's also the question of like, well, whose responsibility is that? Like you went on a date, like by saying it's one person's job to do that, you're already establishing some sort of power dynamic of mm. like people say like, well, is it the man's job? Is it the woman's job? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, th that's in the context of heterosexual relationships, you know, I mean, it depends on so many other factors, but like the hard problem is that there's two people involved with like potentially different goals right. in mind. Right. And so. I mean, whose job is it to sort of clearly state, you know, what they're doing? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think certain conventions also emerge just among users of dating apps that one thing I, I think I have kind of noticed is that ghosting is just pretty common. Like it's just so yeah, it's very common. The, the fact that people do it makes it more socially acceptable. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just people sort of model off of what other people are doing. And so if like, if you have a bunch of interactions on a dating app and you know, most of them end in ghosting, you're going to think that that's normal and yeah. you're going to be more likely to do that. To so ghost, that, yeah. that behavior then spreads, but that might also make you less likely to be offended if someone does that to you, right? You might just say, okay, that's par for the course. You know, that's just how it works here. Um, you know, and 
people might feel just it's too awkward or it's potentially upsetting or mean if you say like i'm not interested in any in you anymore this is the end of the conversation whereas if you just sort of don't respond you know you're you're leaving it ambiguous you're saying okay maybe i just got busy you know maybe i'm going to respond eventually and i just you know it slipped my mind or whatever um yeah i think now does the question is like does that behavior then translate into real life like does this mean that people are more likely to you know ghost i think that's where i was going with their friends in bit. real life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there there is definitely you know i, I see mo- more ghosting just throughout different contexts of life i think these days even beyond just like these you know dating app interactions just like romantic context and it's like i do think that there is a little bit of value in just like honest communication and just you know being like hey like i don't really feel i didn't really feel a connection yeah right? i've i've yet to meet anybody who was just like communicate that honestly with with um somebody else um and i think it's like you know with people that are respectful like i don't think anybody would like receive that and be like super super offended and is like oh why didn't you just say you were busy like why didn't you like honestly tell me how you feel like i feel like that would be a good thing but i think people are just like as a society we're just a little more scared to kind of like speak up and like voice our own opinions yeah 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 um it's yeah it's challenging having that sort of brutal honesty you know and clarity it is challenging but yeah yeah, maybe maybe it is something that people should aspire towards towards having that i mean you know you don't want to waste people's time too right so like if you're not feeling it like that relationship is probably not going to go anywhere so you're 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 really doing both parties a favor a favor if you're like i just genuinely don't believe that this is going to work like why like just rip off the band-aid be like yeah we're i respect you as a person and i don't want to waste your time so you know it's not a reflection of you as a as a person it's not a reflection on your character it's it's something just about the dynamic and the the chemistry and the connection and yeah it's i think both both parties would benefit from the clarity that comes from that um but yeah that's how at least that's how i feel anyways okay cool 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 (laughs) um should we zoom out a bit from discussion of dating apps which is obviously you know one big thing that you know people in our age group might be interested in but just to talk about like how people think about love or how it's portrayed even in the media and you know what are the sort of examples that people are drawing from you know we 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 tossed around a few ideas before we started to record you talked about some some shows some dating shows um you know people might be familiar with things like you know the bachelor or love island (laughs) or you know all of that um or other sort of influences in the media that shape what our expectations are surrounding love? Uh, Great question, Thomas. I actually had one show, actually two shows in mind um, when I, when I, uh, you know, when I told you that I want to talk about, cover this, uh, you know, question is uh, one is the Japanese uh, dating TV show called Terrace House. And the other one I was, um, I watched recently on Netflix. It's a Korean dating show called like Love After Divorce or something like that. That's a rough translation. But actually, let me let me start off with the Korean uh, Korean uh, dating show. I, I, the reason I bring this up, I want to bake in some cultural element to this too. The whole premise of the show is like it's kind of like Terrace House. It's a you know our curated environment where they the the producers select. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, for this show it was heterosexual relationships. So three straight men, uh, three straight women um, for this one. And they're all they've all been divorced. Right. Um, you know, you know, they they 
for some people, it's like 12 years after getting divorced. You know, for some people, they have kids. Some people don't. You know, very interesting, like different dynamics at play here. But what I'm trying to get to is like, I think the reason you wouldn't ever have an American show called like Love After Divorce, right? I mean, the, the reason I'm saying this is that I thought it was so interesting watching that show. It's like, oh, like you, we wouldn't have like a like an American version or like a British version of the show. It's actually very healthy. Uh, the fact that there is a Korean TV show like this is very healthy because getting divorced is still, I would say, in Korea is like considered like a social tab. Like it's you know, there's a social stigma around it. So like because of that social setting, now it's allowed to be like that topic of like finding love in a TV show after getting divorced. It is a it it, it can be a thing of entertainment. Right. And I just thought that the cultural element at play there is so interesting. Um, and I think it's very helpful and it was, it was really popular. So, um, and like, my, I think my parents saw it, like, they talked a little bit about it. And I think it's, we often talk a lot about how, like, the negative impact of media, but I think, you know, certain TV shows like that can definitely have, like, a positive impact to, like, you know, different cultures out there that have, you know, different social stigma around certain things. Um, and I think Terrace House, it was just very interesting because um, the interactions between the members was just so real. And it was just really kind of interesting to see. They also have different, like, uh, uh, different seasons where they have different people of different generations, like different, you know, jobs and, you know, different parts of the country. So I just thought it was very interesting to see how, like, how different the interactions are. Um, and yeah. Okay, interesting perspective. I've never actually been a fan of dating shows, so okay. <laughs> I, but I haven't seen the ones you've mentioned. Yeah. I, I haven't seen Terrace House. I haven't seen the the Korean one you mentioned. I, I uh, at one point I think I watched like one episode of The Bachelor with some friends, and I just <laughs> couldn't understand why people watch it. I was like, I don't get, I don't get what the appeal is. Like, why are we watching this? Why is this supposed to be interesting? I, I'm being such a judgmental person right now, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't get it. Like, it's. What is the motivation? Is the motivation to like live vicariously through someone else, like to seeing someone else like live out their bachelor dream in this sort of contrived setting? Does that like make you happy for them, or is it sort of to feel like you know you're missing that in your life and you're like living vicariously? Like that seems a little potentially problematic. Is it to like learn more about love and like learn like make yourself? like improve as a person i don't think so because it's such a again contrived setting that it doesn't seem super applicable to self-improvement or increasing your you know your self-knowledge um is it entertainment i mean i just i didn't find it that entertaining um so yeah i don't know i just i i don't really get it um but that's but it me. is good <laughs> but it is good entertainment though i mean you you disagree you didn't really find it uh, i did not find entertaining. it entertaining at all interesting okay okay <laughs> My roommate watches a lot of love. Uh, man, there's also so many different variations of these shows these days. So I'm, the, the title is escaping me. I think he's he watches Love Island a lot. Okay, but it's very interesting just going to the living room and him just watching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to each their own. Um, but yeah, I. It seems like they're at least in the one episode of The Bachelor that I watched. I was like, what is all this drama about? It's like unnecessary drama. I'm like, I don't know which part of this is real and which part of this is like fake or scripted, um, you know. Yeah, there is a lot of shows out there that are scripted. Yeah. But I think the ones that I mentioned were, I mean, at least, I mean, everybody, every show is going to say this, but it felt genuinely a little less 
you know, scripted. So I, you know, I liked it a lot. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree. I mean, th- there's definitely those shows out there where it's kind of like mind numbing and you're just like killing time with it. But, it, you know, certain shows where I actually, you know, did learn a little bit about like from people's interactions. It's like, you know, I guess it's a little bit of living vicariously through them and like thinking about, oh, how I would, how would I, you know, react in that you know, situation or like you know, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I am skeptical of the idea that there is such a thing as sort of, you know, like neutral entertainment, um, mm. entertainment that just passes the time. I mean, whatever the entertainment is, you absorb things from it. You absorb values, you absorb, um, perspectives, like implicit assumptions and biases and all that, you know, I mean, it might be things like beauty standards, right? It's creating certain expectations that may be unrealistic. It may be, you know, sort of, um, like racial dynamics in it. Like people make a huge deal when there's like an interracial couple on like a dating, you know, show or something. And it's like, you know, that, that even that makes, there's a presupposition that like, okay, you're supposed to, you know, date implicitly like within your race or something. And, you know, um, even if they're challenging that by, even by like including representation, it's sort of, you know, it's the exception that proves the rule, so to speak. Um, those are just some examples of, of that's that. a really good point. Yeah. Um, I, so there's this, another YouTube channel I would recommend is called, uh, pop culture detective. Um, it's not even mainly about like love or dating or anything like that, but it's, it analyzes pop culture through a lens of like politics and gender dynamics and things like that. Yeah. Um, there were, there were a couple of like really interesting videos on that channel. One was just, well, a lot of them are about tropes that exist in media. Yeah. And so tropes being, you know, some sort of repeated yep. portrayal or representation that, you know, contains baggage in some way. Right. And so one of those is the trope of born sexy yesterday, which is, I mean, I'll just let you like look it up on your own if you're interested, but in short, it's basically about, um, having these, uh, young attractive female characters who are also very naive uh, and innocent uh, regarding how the world works and they meet some like male protagonist who's usually just sort of like you know uh, a random guy but you know she often falls in love with him and it's sort of this male fantasy of like you know um being like the only man in the world you know with someone who is like you know just totally naive to like the way you know society works or something uh the pop culture detective explains it much better than than i do but um, it's a, it's a trope that you see in a lot of movies, TV shows. Um, it's also talked about, you know, just portrayals of, um, you know, misogyny, sexism, uh, sexual assault, sexual assault of males being portrayed for jokes, uh, like as a gag in like so many, so many movies and TV shows. Uh, and again, like these tropes that reoccur, you know, I just don't think that there's any like neutral content. Like it all contains some kind of assumption or, um, like baggage that will affect you um yeah i don't know i don't know that's that's my take at least no this is very interesting like a neutral there's there that there is no such thing as neutral entertainment and um i i want to definitely unpack this a little bit but do you think that there is to any degree some impact on you know these these media shows and you know to kids that are growing up these days in terms of how they view romance how they view you know love obviously we see a lot of tremendous impact on beauty standards i think we see a lot of that um i read an article by a by a renowned psychiatrist the name escapes me but i think the thesis of that article was that 
um, like these facial, you know, like filters that TikTok has these days is going to have a tremendous impact on like, you know, um, like self esteem uh, for kids. Um, and I'm sure like these these um, these media portrayals of like just like beautiful people showing up on these dating dating shows and, and all of that is not always going to have, you know, fully positive impact on people. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, do you think that that has, a, that has anything to do with, you know, uh, people kind of struggling to find the right person more and more these days? You think oh, people, absolutely. You yeah. think people sort of like fantasize the right, the ideal, their ideal, you know, beauty type or whatever these oh, days more? yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, do you? Do yeah, you probably. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to talk about like how there's like declining marriage rates and stuff like that. And I know that it's stupid to just say like, oh, like people are now just seeking for, you know, <laughs> you know, unrealistic beauty standards. That's why people are getting you know, married less. I, I, that's not an argument that I'm trying to make. But I mean, I think there is a lot to unpack there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do agree that that from a from a young age, you're exposed to media. Yeah. Um, you know, some parents are more strict about what you can consume versus not. Mm -hmm. But even the parents that are strict, I mean, they're they like, can't fully control. Yeah, and they're mainly looking at things like, does this contain violence? Does this contain nudity? Does this contain? Right. They're not looking at like what are the tropes that this contains. I mean, that right. was one of the interesting things about Pop Culture Detective. I yeah. mean, it was it was showing a bunch of tropes from movies that probably would make it past, you know, the sort of explicit ratings, content yeah. filter or the uh -huh. rating system, which is very like sort of low resolution in terms of what it captures. And it's all this sort of like uncritically just absorbed stuff. There's all this stuff that's like in there, unchallenged and uncriticized, you know, even if it's PG-13, right? Um, and yeah, I think it has a tremendous impact on the way, you know, both like the expectations people have for themselves, right? Okay, like setting unrealistic expectations about like the person you're going to meet is going to be like the most beautiful person ever and it's going to be, everything's going to be perfect, all that. I mean, that's that's one level. But I also think like in terms of forming yourself psychologically, yeah. like, in terms of what kind of person you are, yeah. you know, you, you take your cues from what you see. Uh, and, you know, we spend so much time consuming media. Um, yeah, I think it's hard not to like, absorb what you think is normal from from those 100 percent, love it um i think our last question on the list um for today's episode was changes in what you're looking for across your lifespan so yeah how do we come to this uh, question thomas i guess we were talking about how like people around our age are now getting married right yeah and uh, that's kind of crazy to see um but i'm sure you know our past generations around our age have all gone through this right so this sudden realization that, you know, marriage is not a thing that was going to happen to us in like the next 10 years, 20 years now. It's like happening in the next like maybe five years. You know, you never know, you know. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, what do you think, Thomas? You know, looking at our friends that grew up with, you know, these you know, Instagram, Snapchat, these different social media influences getting married now. It is kind of funny just to like, you know, people we went to high school with, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we were doing pranks in the dorm or like you know going to class and like yeah. trying our best to like do a analysis of a poem in freshman year english or something are like married yeah. um and having kids you know um it's funny it's interesting um i don't think there's any like perfect situation i, I just don't think there's like a perfect time to like you know you can't wait for everything to be one like i don't you can't wait for 100 financial stability you can't wait for like you know like 
having a house and a you know everything <laughs> like people lives are messy and I, I think there is something valuable about um you know committing to someone even if the future is a little bit uncertain have you ever felt uh, that way i mean sorry sorry i mean have you always felt that way thomas about Th this oh, is, yeah this is yeah. so interesting because i yeah i sort of blurted out this question because as you were telling me that i was thinking back to how i would always tell my mom ever since i was young until very recently it's like i don't want to get married until everything in my life is sorted out and like the big thing was financial for me i was like like until i have like my financial independence i mean how how brazen of me to think that how bold of me to assume i could you know achieve financial independence that in this you know, economy in this economy <laughs> man um but yeah like have you always felt this way thomas or is this a recent revelation to you <laughs> um yeah i don't know i don't know i think i hmm i i don't think I was like you. I don't think I, I felt strongly that I needed to have like all my all my ducks in a row, you know. Um, but I also like wasn't sure that like I wanted to you know get married, you know. So I I don't know. I I wasn't that that wasn't something that was like one hundred percent on my mind. Like mm -hmm. oh I, I definitely want to get married. Like that wasn't my biggest priority, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and you know like now like I do feel like I want to get married and I want to have kids and like you know you all do. that's like very you know very conventional i guess but um i mean even just thinking about the ways in which like the lessons that you know i've learned in life and like being able to like pass that on to like another generation and like you know raise kids and like be able to sort of you know um like raise them in a way that i think is is right you know um yeah i mean it's there's something about like taking you know uh, a connection that you have with someone and, and really just like taking that to the next level of like really committing to like a life together and having a family together and all that, that, that I do want at some point eventually. But, um, yeah, I, I think the, the bottleneck is often like finding that right person, right. That like, that you feel like this could genuinely work. Um, like, I don't feel like the bottleneck for me is, is money or something. You know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm fortunate in that I, you know, I do have a stable, financial situation. I'm a grad student, so I'm not exactly rolling around in the dough, but, you know, I, I sort of have some stability at least in terms of, um, you know, what, what I need. And I, I don't think my, my, um, needs in terms of, um, material things are like super duper luxurious. I, I don't, I don't need a ton of stuff to be, to be happy. Um, yeah. So the, the bottleneck wasn't, wasn't like the financial independence. Uh, it was more like the compatibility. Wow. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. I think I was on the polar opposite end. Interesting, view. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think I was just like very obsessed with them. I mean, people who know me um, know that I'm, you know, very always stressed out about, you know, just like finance and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think for some reason, I think, I mean, there were definitely moments in my, when I was growing up in my childhood where like my parents had like, you know, um, disagreements or like, you know, fights about money. So I think just financial independence for stability at least was um, something that I wanted to seek before finding the right person. But I think what you, I love what you said about like, you wanna commit to somebody who you can see yourself building something with and kind of, you know, going on that journey with. Um, and you know, you can't start, you can't always start a journey fully prepared, right? So um, no, I think it's a beautiful concept. Um, now that we've discussed all of this, I think what might be a pretty good and kind of like a fun way to uh, 
you know, close on this topic, um, Thomas. And if we feel the need to do so, I'm happy to sort of, you know, think about you know, inviting another guest over, yeah, you, know, yeah. talk, you know, talk, you know, talk, discuss this topic again. But let me ask you the question that I asked you in the beginning again and ask you if, you know, your answer has changed to any degree, right? So what is love to you? What does love mean to you now, Thomas? Oh, wow. Has that changed uh, after, at all? After the conversation? <laughs> I don't know. I, as you get older, you know, it's harder and harder to change your mind. Change your mind, yeah. Um, it's good to keep an open mind, but also, you know, you, you do become entrenched in, in some views. Um, you know, I will go back to what I say. I think I'll stand by what I said about love being not just the non-romantic components of love, you know, mm. um, going back to that. I think, you know, we did spend most of the time talking about romantic love, but I kind of think romantic love is often overemphasized um, and sort of disconnected from the other forms of love that exist um, and that are good. And um, even if the different kinds of love are very um, hard to compare with each other, I think they all share in something common, um, which is orienting yourself towards the good of someone else or something else. Um, and as you said, also having the ability to prioritize someone else, self-sacrificial uh, kinds of actions. Um, and there's so many ways to embody that outside of romantic love. And it's sad when romantic love doesn't align with that. It's sad when like romantic love and sort of the, the society's expectations about like, you know, you need romantic love to be happy, you know, romantic love has to go in this way and all the sort of like heartbreak and drama and like sadness that, you know, I mean, just from people that I know, like that comes from this, this question of like finding a romantic partner and all the difficulties that that involves. The fact that all of that can sort of cloud and hide the reality that there is sort of this bigger concept of love outside of just romance, um, is, is a bit sad to me. And ideally every form of love would be training us or, or building up within us some, some greater sense, you know, of knowing yourself and knowing what's important to you and how to treat others and not just how to treat the people that, you know, you find attractive, not just how to treat the people that, you know, you think you're going to be in a relationship with, but how to treat like everyone and how to treat, you know, um, you know, the earth and how to treat, you know, animals and how to treat, you know, it just how to treat, um, life and how to approach life um beautifully put. i don't know that's my ramble but what about you no beautifully put um i think uh, what did i say in the beginning i said love is you know just about like priority and stuff like that right um i mean thanks to you thomas i think i've definitely trained the part of my you know i guess brain muscles that i never really you know thought about in at least in the context of love which i think is just the the element of i mean maybe you know self-sacrificial part of love that I, that, you know, mentioned in the beginning touches on this a little bit, but like that altruism part, right. That permeates through different, you know, contexts of love beyond just romance. Um, that really just resonated very deeply with me. And I think the last part of our conversation, I think I enjoyed a lot, like, you know, co-building together. It's almost like, I think going on a hike and, you know, you come fully packed. You think that you've come fully like packed your backpack with like all the essentials, right. Um, but realizing you missed something and then still that hike is worth it. Right. Or, yeah. you know, your partners, you know, you know, your partner didn't forget it or something like that. Right. Like co-building or going on a journey together. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what love is going on a hike with somebody. I, I like that <laughs> analogy of, yeah, going on a hike and not being prepared, but realizing that you need 
that you need help, you need assistance. And yeah. that might be from a romantic partner, but it might not be. It might, but be, it might, from, not might be. be from a random stranger exactly. who stops on the trail and helps you. Yeah, you exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So I also have a final question I want to ask you, uh, which is, so what would you say to someone who is, you know, struggling with love what would you say to someone who's you know i don't know so what would i tell myself is that what oh I'm yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it could be it could be directed to yourself it could be directed uh, at you know yeah, yeah. i think a lot of people in their you know this what is the age range we're, we're aiming at what's our target audience here like mid 20s late sure. 20s yeah you know i think a lot of people um but man know, watching that show love after worse like there are people in their 40s yeah, still struggling yeah, yeah, with love that's yeah. True. yeah it's it's yeah. a it's a recurring recurring challenge for never people. leaves our life yeah. what, what words of encouragement would you give to someone who you know feels like love is has left them feeling very you know disappointed or even jaded about about the prospects of love i think this is what i'm gonna say don't blame yourself yeah one other thing that came up in our conversation which i like absolutely love is just like don't ascribe everything that happens in your life to your abilities or you know lack of abilities you know lack thereof right um, a lot of things, I think the book full by randomness touches on the little touches on this a little bit, but I think that's more limited to the scope of career success and whatever, like financial success. So, but like same applies to love. I think, you know, we talked about the right person, but not necessarily the right timing. So many external factors that you can't be in full control of. Um, so yeah, don't blame yourself too much. Yeah. What about you, Thomas? I, I really love that that advice. Don't you know? Don't blame yourself. Uh, and you know, I think don't blame anyone else either. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. yeah it's like it's. Yeah. Um, we can, I think, critique the culture. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I brought up pop culture detective. I brought up some criticisms of like these systemic level things. Very righteously so. Culturally, like the way we we um, uh, not again not to use like super harsh words like indoctrinate but like the way we we expose children to expectations and tropes from a young age you know you can blame that um but you know like if you know love is not working out for you at this moment you know it's it's not your fault it's not the fault of you know someone else directly um you know if someone for example doesn't love you back you have to respect their freedom too you know it's it's if you love someone truly then you want what's best for Maybe them, blame right? them a little bit for, yeah, you know, for, for breaking your heart. No, no, no. It's, yeah. I mean, heartbreak is, it's, it's hard, you know, it's it hard, is hard. It's hard to get over that. And, you know, you feel like, you know, you feel like the world is going to end, you yeah. know, when, yeah. when you have your heart broken. But, um, I think realizing that it's a chance for growth, right. Yeah. Like that moment of pain, that moment of disillusionment or suffering that you may be experiencing, I think it's like a chance to actually grow a lot, um, to experience some of that and realize that, you know, you have to look inside yourself again. I'm going to keep bringing it back to self-knowledge, but, you know, discovering what's really important to you, trying to become the person that you want to be and living out your values and respecting the autonomy of other people that you can't force someone to love you in the same way that, you know, you might want. And that desire is not really aligned with, you know, reality. Your goal should be to, to, you know, be the person, like live the way you want to live that you think is good and to see the world how it truly is that's true and if someone is you know doesn't love you back or someone broke your heart you know like that's that's real and that's hard and you have to you know live through that but um i think it's a chance for growth you know it's a chance for growth um if you if you're you know if you're feeling like hopeless that you know you're never going to find love or something i would just yeah come back to all the different forms of love right like everyone participates in love and romantic love is is one is one component of that. Just one of them. 
Beautifully put, Thomas. Um, love it. Okay, so. Uh, love it. I see what you did there. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, beautifully put. Um, what should we talk about in our next episode? I don't necessarily have a plan for this. Um, it's okay. We can we can walk into it without a plan. No, I mean, I we had some other ideas that we were throwing around. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had some ideas cooking as well. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, we talked a bit about social media in this episode and its mm-hmm. connection. Uh, I think, you know, we could also talk about um, other aspects of social media outside of, you know, dating apps. Yeah. I also really want to talk about, um, you know, like mental health at some point. I yeah. think um, there's a lot of desire to talk more about mental health in our generation, but also mental health is like at an all time low, you know? Um, So that I feel like is a, is a relatable content for, for our, uh, our target audience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. How about you? Yeah, I agree. Mental health. I love it. Yeah. Now let's revisit all of these topics and then come back with it. So this time it will be a surprise for our listeners. Yeah. We normally close out with, you know, what we're going to talk about, but I love mental health actually. I might, yeah, I might entertain that too. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, no, as always, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll come back next week. Thanks so much, Kihan. Thank you, Thomas. Bye.